Welcome to podcast at SDA. This series is devoted to an exploration of the plays in production at USC School of Dramatic Arts 2016-2017 at the University of Southern California. Special thanks to Phil Allen and the BFA sound design students who helped put this together. And uh, today's guest is Regina Taylor, author of Magnolia, which plays November 17th through 20th in our McClintock Theatre here on campus. Regina Taylor is an actress and a playwright, a Golden Globe Award-winning actress and an NAACP Image Award-winning actress for her performance in I'll Fly Away, the 1990s television series. You've also seen Regina in a number of films, including Clockers, Courage Under Fire, A Family Thing, The Negotiator, and Strange Justice. She's also an accomplished stage actress and was the first black woman to play Juliet in Romeo and Juliet on Broadway. Other Broadway credits include Macbeth and As You Like It. Regina Taylor has been the playwright in residence at the Signature Theatre in New York. She wrote Escape from Paradise, a one-woman show which was produced at the Goodman, where she is an artistic associate. Ms. Taylor's other plays include Crowns, which in 2006 was the most performed musical in the United States, and also Drowning Crow, an adaptation of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull, which was produced on Broadway in 2004 by the Manhattan Theatre Club. Hello. Hello, Regina. Hi. Hi, this is David here from USC. Uh, nice to uh, talk to you. A pleasure, and thank you so much for joining us today. Really, we appreciate your time. So, oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you for your interest in the play. Yes, we're producing it at the end of November, so actually it goes into rehearsal um, right around now, and I know the cast is all very excited, and uh, oh. the cast and the director have actually contributed a couple of the questions that I'm going to be asking you, so they, okay. will, they will be listening eagerly. Um, but before we get to Magnolia, Regina, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what's on your plate right now. I know you are an extraordinarily accomplished artist and you have many projects. What's, uh, what's coming soon? Um, I'm working on a piece that I've done before called Uplandi, uh, for Two Rivers Theater, um, with Ruben Santiago Hudson directing it. Um, and that'll go up, uh sometime next season. Uh, and I'm working on new pieces for Signature Theater, where I'm uh, a resident writer uh, for uh, Denver Theater Center, uh, for Carthage College and the Old Vic, um, all on uh, different different topics. Your plate is very full. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm writing uh, pretty much uh, nonstop right now. Well, congratulations. Uh, any of the new pieces have any relationship with Anton Chekhov by any chance? No, no. These pieces uh, do not directly, uh, uh, though, uh, you know, I think in terms of themes of, of place, uh, I think... Uh, and how place defines you and trying to escape from or run to place or find one's place in this world uh, uh, might, that might have a common, a common thread. Yes. Well, maybe that's a, 
a great segue to to open up a conversation about Magnolia. Um, mm. You created Drowning Crow um, a decade or so ago, and I think that came first in in terms of yes. Chekhov inspired pieces. Okay. Can you tell us right. Uh, either either by re- referencing Drowning Crow or Magnolia, what was it that um, that really attracted you to the to the adaptation of Chekhov's work? But I I really uh, love those two plays. I love the Seagull, uh, and I I love uh, the Cherry Orchard very much. Always have and have seen various productions, and um, wanted to have a different type of dialogue with them. Uh, to uh, then um, break down why it is I I like the plays, what intrigues me about them, what connections I have, uh, and why sometimes I feel like perhaps in the translation in in terms of of setting them here in America, uh, what I felt was distancing. And... uh, um, thinking about that, I realized that what was the common bond uh, was that uh, Chekhov's great-great-grandparents were slaves, were mm. serfs, slaves. And no matter uh, how far along you go, no matter if you're off the, uh, the land, off the plantation, after you've been freed and it's generations later, uh, you're still seen by society uh, through that tent of um, roots to slavery. And so you're viewed in that way uh, as set apart from mainstream society. Uh, That's what he wrote about. Hmm. And I was going, well, I I think that's what what hits a chord with me, and that's where I, I then uh, started thinking about digesting uh, his work in in a way that led me to writing um, writing uh, the adaptations, mm. uh, the the spring uh, becoming the springboard to uh, both Drowning Crow and Magnolia. Wonderful. And um, did you consciously um, adapt character for character in Magnolia from the Cherry Orchard, or did you introduce uh, or indeed cut any of Chekhov's characters or introduce new ones of your own? The character is right there, Mm. yes. Okay. Um, So in your stage direction at the beginning of Magnolia, you talk about Atlanta's new mayor, in 1963, Ivan Allen building a mm-hmm. Peyton Wall, um, which yes. was labeled as Atlanta's Berlin Wall. Um, mm-hmm. So that obviously speaks to the very history you were just referring to. Do you personally have any connection with the city of Atlanta? And do you, do you in your family, other there. memories? You I, did. I lived there for um, a few years when we were shooting a TV series called I'll Fly Away. Yes. I'll Fly Away was set in uh, uh, Atlanta or, or surrounding area uh, and um, had to do with the civil rights movement. It had to do with uh, segregation during that time. Uh, and 
uh, lawyer and his housekeeper uh, and her other roles. Uh, so uh, I was living there in Atlanta and uh, was soaking up the, the great atmosphere and history mm. of Atlanta. And I knew about uh, the Peyton area. And when I started working on this piece, uh, people started telling me about its history. Hmm. Is there any of the Peyton Wall left now? Does it still exist? No, it was it was not necessarily uh, the Berlin Wall, literally, uh-huh. uh, but symbolically it was. It was a, a barrier that was erected and could be taken down very easily, uh-huh. uh, probably no more than uh, five feet tall. Okay. And what is so extraordinary about your work and Chekhov's work is that not only are the spiritual consequences of uh, slavery or serfdom explored, but also the economic ones. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And can you can you talk a little bit about how you how you created a kind of an economic discussion around the themes of this play? Uh, well, it is about where we come from and how uh, that place defines you and. Uh, the characters, the main characters in the play, uh, which is Thomas Forrest and Lily Forrest, mm. an African-American man and a white woman, uh, both coming from the same place, this Magnolia estate just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, she is a white woman of privilege, and she runs away from this place because she doesn't like the way uh, place hems her in in terms of being a white woman and she wants to break free find some freedom uh in traveling the world taking on different roles and at one point she even uh travels um uh as a man uh and she's a bohemian a Mm. free spirit Mm -hmm. Uh, she doesn't want to come back home um to to this this uh more rigid society, which tells her she has to be married uh, with children and uh, she has to play certain roles, uh, act a certain way. Uh, with with Thomas, uh, he was born there as the great-great-grandson of slaves uh, on this plantation, the Magnolia Estate. Mm. And uh, pretty much the people there keep their roles as servants, uh, people, uh, a black person living there. Um, and certainly what's uh, underneath it all is, is, is what binds them by the roots. Uh, he wants to escape those trees, uh, which bear that, that strange fruit, mm. uh, the memory of, of a lynching mm. Uh, when he was a child. So he runs away from this place. He goes to Atlanta proper, uh, lives in Sweet Auburn, which was the African-American side of town uh, during segregation, and this is set in 1963. Uh, And he becomes a prosperous businessman. Uh, He doesn't want to go back to those roots, those memories that haunt him uh, on the Magnolia estate. Uh, So... uh, Knowing that, I'm just giving a general outline, mm. uh, knowing that the um, the mother of Lily Forrest, uh, 
the matriarch of the family, the the, the father's already passed, but the matriarch of the family uh, is dying. Uh, Lily has to return to deal with the estate and to deal with herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will happen to this estate um, once the mother dies, uh, which is already been run down by her baby brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, the land will go to the baby brother because he's a man, uh, but she needs to figure out with him how to say, save it so it won't go into foreclosure, mm-hmm. um, how to save uh, their legacy uh, is is the discussion. Uh, this legacy that is is complicated, is mixed, is, that tears people apart, and and binds people together. Uh, even if you even if you uh, want to get rid of it, even if you want to uh, burn down each and every tree, the roots remain. And this legacy that we share as Americans with this past of slavery. Um, haunts us all. Mm. Uh, the roots remain, and we're all we're all entangled by it as Americans. Um, it will shoot back up mm. uh, when we least expect it. It will come back up. Even if you chop down the tree, burn it down, we want to we want to erase this history, but it's still there, and that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, certainly at this moment in time in American history, in American politics, in our policies, in um, what's going on in the streets with Black Lives Matter. Uh, It is this history uh, that is still haunting us and we're all tied up in it and it will pop back up and we have to deal with it. We have to discuss it. We have to find our way through. We have to find um, our identity that is the present moment that is tied to our past, that uh, ensnares, uh, but also informs our future. As you're talking, I'm I'm thinking that uh, you first produced this play, I believe, shortly after Barack Obama was first elected. To absolutely, in yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And that was uh, absolutely uh, what was on my mind as I was writing it. Mm. It does become in a way, um, symbolic of uh, the first black man uh, because Thomas does eventually uh, take his birthright because uh, both of them are named Forrest. Yeah. Uh, and somewhere along the way, his blood is mixed with the white uh, forests. Um, um, that you do have an African-American man uh, uh, taking over um, the White House, taking over the plantation, this estate, the Magnolia estate. So um, I found that uh, interesting to me at that moment, and especially uh, the maneuvers between uh, Thomas and Lily, uh, a white woman, uh, who's also trying to uh, lay claim to that house and its history uh, where you had um, this exchange between Obama, this race between Obama and Hillary mm. uh, and and what, what came up in terms of 
uh, people were talking at that moment about being a, a post-racial society, which we, we uh, all of that shattered at this point, um, at this moment in time. Uh, but uh, that exchange between um, this black man and this white woman and their history tied together and their struggle for power, uh, empowerment of self, and trying to um, seek uh, an individual identity. Uh, but it's, it's really all very complicated and mixed. Yes, it's, gosh, there's so many different um, uh, sort of roads we could follow in the conversation, but one that is just coming to my mind as you describe these themes in the play is that Obama himself, I believe, was present recently at the opening of the new African-American uh, History Museum in yes. Washington. Mm -hmm. And I think of the extraordinary success of Ta-Nehisi Coates' um, Between the World and Me recently. And I, I feel that the country yes. is, in fact, struggling to identify all of its histories, and I, and I use the plural on purpose, and to, recon right. and to reconcile them. I wonder. Uh, yes, I think we are in a big struggle right now. And, um, this moment in time, whatever had been, people thought was buried in terms of race, that we had made this progress mm. uh, in terms of race and gender, um, huh, uh, that uh, if we had moved forward in this moment in, in time, there are people who want to pull us back. Mm. Uh, pull us back in terms of, of um, that history uh, and there is a struggle there is uh, a fight to make uh, certain things that we thought we had passed normal again mm -hmm. uh, things that were never normal uh, to try and make that that discourse normal again in terms of uh, in terms of the play of uh, we're talking about race and gender mm -hmm. another question which is a little more practical or prosaic can you talk about the use of the same set as you have described it and manifested it in magnolia um, to represent two different worlds of the play uh, how, how did you uh, imagine yes, that the, uh, the two restaurants mm. um, you have this restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia, downtown, and you have uh, the, uh, which is where uh, really uh, goes, uh, and you have the restaurant which is in Sweet Auburn, which is where Thomas goes, and you have a uh, a back and forth between scenes and and this restaurant. Um, Ultimately, the statement was that physically these places are the same. Mm -hmm. um, the identity is very similar. And I, I wanted to make sure that uh, there was an understanding that because in, in Atlanta, Georgia, there was segregation. And in Atlanta, which was interesting, very interesting to me, uh, which was they claim different from other parts of the South. Mm. When the ties of change were rolling in and you had the protests, you had the bombings in Alabama, you had, uh, these are not 
these this was not a peaceful exchange in terms of, of, of what was happening with integration across the South. Uh, Atlanta was watching this, and Atlanta prides itself in, in being a place uh, where it's about business. Uh, they had worked out a system a while back uh, in terms of segregation, separate but equal, uh, where uh, you had a whole um, lineage of people uh, that were African Americans who um, were uh, moneyed, uh, privileged, uh, politically astute, mm. who would cross the line and make deals uh, on the white side uh, for uh, their constituency. Uh, that you had bankers, you had businessmen, you had bankers, uh, black people had their own uh, policemen. Uh, they were uh, self-sustaining uh, was was what was was stated uh, by by uh, by some uh, that the reason why Martin Luther King, who was born in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, went somewhere else. Uh, there was Papa uh, King, uh, his father, mm. who was a very powerful man there, and he didn't want all of this um, type of sit-ins protests, disturbances to happen in, in others uh, besides him. Uh, African-American affluent people did not want uh, these disturbances happening in their town. They felt like they could do it by negotiation mm. uh, because they're businessmen. And it is all about negotiation mm. behind closed doors. So the students um, were the ones who really pressed uh, to have the movement really start, begin with the sit-ins in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, uh, so you have this setup where many felt that uh, it was separate but equal. Mm. Uh, so y you did have uh, people living in in uh, wonderful homes, uh, their own tailors, uh, they were moneyed uh, politicians, um, uh, people of influence. And I wanted, I wanted uh, the set then to reflect uh, those two sides uh, with different identities that uh, if you see the white side, uh, you would see a very nice restaurant. Um, and if you then uh, went to the scene with the uh, African-American restaurant, uh, Pearl's, that you would also see a very nice restaurant. Uh, so these things are, are, are equal. So what's the thing that's off mm. in, in terms of, of the relationship? Mm. You make me think that land itself is neutral, but it's the manner in which we interpret land that leads to our conflict. Right. Yeah. Right, yes. Um, yes, I, and so, yes, it is with the land, the estate, yeah. uh, and and different visions, uh, perspectives of that land in terms of the past, present, and, and the future of that land. Uh, and it is also with uh, Lily, uh, 
her identity and um, Thomas, his identity. Uh, so many things are um, similar and, and so many things are quite different. Mm. That's That discusses the visual landscape of the play. You've also created an oral landscape to the play by uh, introducing a lot of Bob Dylan's music. Can you talk about that influence and uh, how music in general affects the world of this play? Uh, yes, it is. Um, it is protest music is what uh, I have with one character. He does uh, sing uh, Bob Dylan music. You also have... Uh, the protest songs that, uh, and this is coming into uh, into the civil rights movement with the freedom rides, uh, where you would have uh, some gospel songs that were co-opted into uh, songs for the marches. Um, so I wanted to integrate uh, the music of the period, uh, mainly. Uh, the protest music, uh, uh, both religious and, and secular, uh, as well as um, uh, the music of the day. So you'd have something like Twist and Shout, hmm. uh, which which was the music that was supposed to be um, crossing over the lines, uh, which was going into uh, mainstream uh, black music that was going, uh, black artists that were becoming uh, mainstream uh, artists. Uh, that was uh, that was the new element. Thinking about it, I there were so many revolutions going on at the time, protest movements, the civil rights movement, the sexual revolution. Okay. You know, I, I think perhaps music helps to uh, draw all of those um, challenges to society together into uh, into a sort of artistic well, you had expression. you had. Uh, those lines being crossed uh, in the South uh, where young people started dancing on the same dance floor mm -hmm. uh, was was a, a big deal. Yeah. You mentioned earlier in our conversation, Regina... Uh, a big oh. deal, and it was a dangerous deal as well. Right, yes. right. In some cases. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you earlier mentioned the word haunting, uh, as in the, the legacy of history haunting the present. Um, and in the stage directions at the top of the play, you even define the words haunt and haunted and haunting. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to write that down and, you know, the the thoughts that you have around that series of words? Well, it, it is. We are haunted. We are haunted by our history. Uh, it, it attaches itself to us, yeah. uh, whether um, Thomas is talking about uh, the haunting of uh, the spirits of the ancestors who uh, came before him uh, as slaves on uh, the Magnolia Plantation, uh, or if he's talking about his father who haunts him, uh, who won't let him go, he wrestles with him every day sees his father in the mirror when he shades himself in the morning. Um, our past uh, that haunts us in terms of our identities um, is uh, very much 
uh, present in this piece, as well as with Lily. Uh, she runs away from America and travels the globe, but she's haunted by um, she's haunted by who she is, uh, uh, root-wise. Mm. Uh, she can't escape, but also she needs that as well. She needs those eyes uh, that remember her in her innocence um, and that roots her to be able to see her mother, to be able to see her brother. Uh, they remember her uh, before uh, uh, before she changed her names and identities as she moved forward through the world. Um, and the same with, with Thomas, uh, haunted by eyes that see him uh, not as the black businessman that he has uh, uh, that he's become, but uh, still that uh, black boy um, who uh, could be abused and battered by uh, both uh, social and, and familial systems. Hmm. I think about the, the way you're describing um, these characters and their journeys and the way that the text reads. And it's both um, very serious and also has a very lyrical uh, quality to it. And then I'm, I'm wondering about um, the apocryphal story that we often hear about Chekhov's debates with um, Stanislavski and the fact that he thought of his plays as comedies and was frustrated if Stanislavski treated them differently. Oh. <laughs> do you, right, do you yes. have any thoughts about that in relation to Magnolia? Absolutely. I, I, I think that Chekhov is, you know, he his humor is absolutely present. Uh, uh, many times, very dark, uh, dark yeah. humor. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, and and also uh, uh, there's broad humor in it as well. And and so uh, with this too, uh, it's a very funny play, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, everyone has a. Uh, a, a humor to them, whether that's a, a biting humor or uh, you have uh, a, a savage humor, a broad humor, um, uh, a light uh, uh, humor. Uh, each person uh, deals with life uh, and they use uh, the weapon of humor uh, to help them get through. Now, this brings me to a question which I think is um, only natural for a cast and a director to want to ask the author of the play they're about to embark upon. And of course, being an actor yourself, you know, you, you have many years of experience on stage. Is there any advice that you have for um, actors, especially young actors, uh, undertaking Magnolia? Um, hmm. Yes, to bring their full, uh, their full-bodied, passionate selves to the piece. Mm. Uh, it's not a period piece uh, per se that one has to remove. You have to remove yourself mm. uh, from uh, 
from the words, from the language, uh, even in its uh, being a lyrical piece, as it were, poetic, uh, there's poetry in the language, uh, that there has to be, uh, it has to be grounded in uh, deep-seated reality, mm-hmm. uh, truthfulness, reality, uh, uh, hot-blooded um, uh, uh, commitment to who these characters are and how you trace yourself through these characters uh, to make them individuals uh, rather than stock characters. Um, and certainly there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of material to be gathered from in this present moment mm. in, in working on this piece mm. to bring themselves to it in an honest and open way. And, and certainly again, it is, it is, it, if it's not funny, then it, it, something's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, to, to have fun with it but also know uh, why the humor is necessary in it, which is uh, part of the, the dark tragedy of it. Yeah. Do you think that comedy as a classical form is still relevant in this modern world of ours? Happy ending. I suppose I'm referring to happy endings and, you know, Journeys of self-fulfillment. I'm sorry, I, I didn't. I didn't hear that last. Part. Yeah, I'm wondering about the the existence of happy endings, um, and wh- okay. whether or not you personally, as an author, find them to be of interest or relevant to the the times that we live in. Oh, happy endings! I think uh, uh, I find I find endings uh, to be. Uh, like chapters in a book. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, there, and then you begin the next chapter. Uh, where you might land in one chapter doesn't necessarily signify where where you begin the next chapter or what that next chapter, uh, uh, what unfolds in that next chapter. It's always ambiguous to me mm. um, uh, where we think we're landing and when we arrive and when we actually, you know, set foot on it, uh, those are, those are, those are different steps. Um, and so if it's hopeful in this moment and then you, in that next intake of breath, um, the skies open and, and the boulders fall. <laughs> I don't know. Hmm. Um, uh, we can we, we try and live in the present moment, but we're all a lot of times we're, we're concerned with with what what that next breath might be. Mm. Uh, and if you live long enough, you you either let go of all those expectations or or uh, clenched fist um, you you uh, will yourself to move forward. Um, depends on the character, depends on the person. I don't think anyone lands in the same place at the same time. Uh, so uh, it's hard for me to say uh, things have a happy ending or things, uh, um, yeah, it's hard to say what the ending looks like. Yeah. 
Well, on that... Certainly with this play, it's not a happy ending, (laughs) necessarily. No. Uh, Thomas does get uh, ownership of the land, uh, but even as he he is handed the keys, it's... Uh, one can't say this is happiness or uh, one can't say it's tragic. Once one, you see him wrestling with it. Well, thank you, Regina. It's really a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. Good luck with all your forthcoming projects. We'll be keeping, uh, keeping our eyes on them. And uh, if you're ever in Southern California, please let us know. Oh, thank you so much. Please uh, let me know when the show is. And if I'm in the area, I'd love to come see it. We will for sure. Okay. Okay, thank you. Take care. Regina Taylor, author of Magnolia, an acclaimed American actress and playwright, talking to us on podcast at SDA. Magnolia plays from November 17th through 20th at our McClintock Theatre, School of Dramatic Arts at the University of Southern California. Podcast at SDA is a production of the USC School of Dramatic Arts. Your host is the Dean of the School of Dramatic Arts, David Bridell. Podcast at SDA is recorded, edited, and mixed by the students and faculty of the BFA Sound Design Program. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Podcast at SDA. Music for this episode of Podcast was performed by Camille Langston, Michael Kakowski, and Harrison Poe. Recording, engineering, and mixing was done by Ethan Zeitman. <laughs>